It's Thursday, March 28th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Earlier this week, the DOJ reversed course and announced that it is siding with a district court ruling that said the Affordable Care Act was unconstitutional. Hoping to strike the law down entirely, President Trump is also trying to rebrand the GOP as the party of healthcare. Sam Baker, healthcare editor for Axios, joins us for this new development and how split the president's party is on this new course of action. Next, McDonald's has just made its biggest acquisition in two decades in a deal worth $300 million. It's an Israeli startup called Dynamic Yield, which McDonald's hopes will take them from mass marketing to mass personalization. You will first see Dynamic Yield's technology at the drive-thru window, where digital displays can change in real time based on factors such as weather and what the customer is ordering. My producer Miranda joins us for more. Finally, you've heard of the placebo effect, but what about its evil twin, the nocebo effect? It's when a person experiences negative symptoms from an inert pill or treatment, sometimes even from verbal suggestions. Studies are currently being done to better understand the placebo and nocebo effects. Shayla Love, science writer at Vice, joins us to discuss how it all works. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. The GOP will never stop trying to destroy the affordable health care of America's families. Joining us now is Sam Baker, healthcare editor for Axios. It was back in December that U.S. District Judge Reed O'Connor said that the Affordable Care Act's individual mandate was unconstitutional, and therefore the rest of the law is also invalid. On Monday, the Department of Justice announced that it is siding with the district court ruling, saying that it found it unconstitutional. So this is kind of a switch for the Department of Justice and for President Trump. Let's start there real quick. Give us a little bit of background on this ruling and what it means for healthcare in general. This is a challenge to what remains of the individual mandate filed by a bunch of Republican state attorneys general. They've been trying to convince the courts to strike down all of Obamacare. The Justice Department had said previously, no, you just need to strike down the mandate and then the protections for people with pre-existing conditions, but the rest of it can stay. They have changed their mind now. They now want the whole thing gone, which the stakes were already really high. Doing away with protections for pre-existing conditions was a big deal. It wasn't, you know, some middle ground, but now they're even higher. Now you would just get rid of Obamacare coverage altogether. You get rid of the Medicaid expansion, get rid of all this sort of other under the hood stuff. If this argument prevails, it would just be an incredibly traumatic change in the healthcare system. Yeah, they're saying it could wipe out the healthcare for 20 million people if this whole thing is being wiped out. So the Justice Department is siding now with that ruling. The president tweeted out that the Republican Party will become the party of health care. But still, just from what I'm reading and seeing out there, Republicans don't necessarily have a plan still to replace it if this does get struck down completely. I mean, this goes back to what we already went through, the repeal and replace. Sure, they wanted to repeal it, but there was nothing to replace it. And we went through it with the midterms also. Democrats won in part on that message of pre-existing conditions and the whole healthcare issue. That's what propelled a lot of them to regain control of the House. So this has always been kind of a losing issue for Republicans, but now the president is ramping it all up again. 
Yeah, I wouldn't say it's always been a losing issue. I mean, Republicans came into the majority in the House in 2010, mostly by beating up Obamacare. But you're right, they've never had a plan to replace it. And they've kept putting themselves in these situations where they won the House in 2010 and promised to repeal it. There was a Supreme Court case in 2012. And we, I was down there asking them, all right, if you win this Supreme Court case, what are you going to do to replace it? And they didn't have a plan for that. Same thing after Trump became president and tried repealing the place. And same thing now. There's never been a plan. And different is that these are real things for real people now. These are real protections that people benefit from. It's coverage that people have. It's financial assistance that people have. That's not to say it's perfect or even necessarily that it's good, but it is the status quo. And I think, as you said, that's why Republicans ran into so many problems in the midterms. They just sort of kept saying, oh, we're going to take care of that. We're going to take care of that. We're going to take care of that. But I think people understand it's been nine years uh, and there's no plan to actually take care of it. And where are Republicans right now on this whole issue? Axios was reporting that House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy called the president and told him he disagrees with this attempt to throw out the entire Affordable Care Act and that a lot of conservatives don't really agree with the trajectory on this. That's right. That is our reporting on Kevin McCarthy, who's close to Trump, who's someone that Trump listens to, had told him he thought that this didn't make any sense, this change in position in a lawsuit raising the stakes in this way. And we have heard from a lot of other Republican lawmakers and their staffers who don't want to go on the record criticizing the president. But when you talk to them, they will say, yeah, we don't know why he did this. It's inviting a fight that Republicans lost in the midterms. I mean, that wasn't that long ago. You know, the, the last time we had this fight, Republicans lost it in a big way. And now he's designing to have it again with even higher stakes. What would Republicans like to do in this situation? Because if the district court already said that the Affordable Care Act is unconstitutional, how do they want to proceed? What they will say publicly is that they want this to work its way through the process and Obamacare to be struck down. And then they say they'll be able to come up with something to replace it. What I think a lot of them actually hope in their heart of hearts is that they lose this lawsuit and Obamacare stays and they don't have to do that sort of crisis governing, which we saw with repeal and replace. The Republican Party is not on the same page about health care. How long does, will it take for this to work its way through the courts? Like when will they make that final determination that uh, it is unconstitutional and the whole thing needs to be thrown out? It'll take a little while. It is in the, the middle stage of the process, which is the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. Everyone's filing their written briefs there right now. We'll probably have oral arguments there in the summer. And then the thinking, this isn't a guarantee, but the, everyone's guess is probably a decision in the fall. And then it'll depend what that court says, whether the Supreme Court takes it up, but that would be the next step if there's going to be a next step. In the meantime, Democrats are working on bills to expand the health care coverage and expand subsidies for both premiums and out-of-pocket costs for a lot of people. Obviously, they don't think that the prospect of losing the Affordable Care Act is a good thing, and they're not excited about that. But political timing of what, what Trump has done here is very much seen as a gift to Democrats by both Democrats and Republicans. Democrats were already trying to get back on the healthcare message. It, it worked in 2018. A lot of them really never left it. And, and this just makes that so much easier. Yeah. I mean, it's an ongoing issue kind of forever, basically. So it was there in the midterms. I'm sure it's going to make its way all the way through 2020. So you'll be hearing about healthcare. And it's one of those top issues that you know, a lot of people care about and people really vote for candidates and the parties that they think are going to handle it better. Sam Baker, healthcare editor for Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. McDonald's already collects massive data on us. That is true. But what this is supposed to help them do is get insight 
from that data so they can market to you specifically. Joining me now is my producer, Miranda. We're going to be talking about McDonald's and the fast food industry and how technology is changing it. McDonald's just made a $300 million plus deal. It's their biggest acquisition in two decades since they bought Boston Market and then they sold it after that. But they bought this company called Dynamic Yield. It's a digital startup based out of Israel and it's really going to help out with a lot of their technology. Most notably, you'll notice it first in the drive through So what do we know about this, Miranda? So McDonald's serves around 68 million customers every day. That's amazing. Can you imagine that? 68 million. And the majority of those people don't even ever get out of their car. They go through the drive through And so this is where McDonald's plans to deploy their dynamic yield screens First, here's what it's going to look like in practice. So you're going to roll up to the drive through to place your order in a digital display screen. And you may have already started seeing a lot of these digital display screens at the McDonald's where it's able to change between breakfast to lunch right. to dinner menu, shows you exactly what it is. So what you're going to see when you get to one of these dynamic yield screens is a digital display. It'll have a banner items or promotions, you know, two for five or two for one or whatever the deal is. And as you get closer to order, you'll get the full menu. And then from there, you're going to see rotating things like new offers or switching over. But in a pilot program, they're already starting this in Miami. They already have one of these dynamic yield order things. And it's an algorithm that is able to crunch the data. And they're look at things like weather or time of day, traffic, even nearby events to promote certain items. So like if it's really, really busy or there for the dinner rush, they're going to show you things. They're going to highlight menu items that are easier for the kitchen staff to prep other than like the artisan crafted burgers that are take right. minutes. They're More complex. cheeseburgers rather than their double burgers with extra bacon. And yeah, it's very interesting. It's, I mean, you got to think of it in the scope of things. It's a $300 million acquisition here, but McDonald's makes nearly $6 billion of net income. Last year alone, they made that. And at the end of it, they had a free cash flow of $4.2 billion. Wow. So they have a ton of money. And this uh, dynamic yield company, I mean, they help retailers provide personalized digital promotions using all the data that they get. And whether you think it or not, McDonald gains a lot of data from you. They're using it to really propel themselves into the next phase. They're trying to move from mass marketing, so all of your big commercials and big national promotions, to mass personalization. How can we make everything more personal to you and, and really cater to what you want. So we're talking about like the data that they get on you. If you're a person that goes and orders two Happy Meals, they're probably say, hey, this is a parent ordering food for their kids with the data that they're going to do and what Dynamic Yield is going to allow them to do is maybe let's suggest a coffee up there. Let's suggest a snack, something like a hot apple pie or some, something for a pick-me-up for the parent to have. And little by little, you're spending a little more money there. And you said that McDonald's already collects massive data on us. That is true. But what this is supposed to help them do is get insight from that data so they can market to you specifically. They expect to see this technology in a thousand locations within the next three months. That's how quickly this is going to be rolled out. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that to their 14,000 restaurants. But it's not just the drive through. It's you've seen the kiosks inside the McDonald's now where you can kind of order and pay with your credit card there. All of this technology is going to be rolled up into that. 
And a little bit of background about the company of Dynamic Yield. They were founded in 2011 and they have headquarters in New York and Tel Aviv. And they've got a lot of like high dollar retail clients, including Ikea, Sephora, Urban Outfitters, and they're going to actually remain independent. They're going to run on their own, even after being bought out by McDonald's. And they're excited to do this because they're saying that their customers are going to benefit in a lot of ways. And one of the major ways is they're going to remove the risk of being a startup. They are no longer going to be just trying to tread water and stay afloat. They have enough cash cushion that they can innovate instead of just try to stay alive. McDonald's vetted around 30 firms before settling on dynamic yield. So thanks, Miranda. Thanks, Oscar. I have lots of friends who love their crystals, and I think crystals are very pretty. But I've gone out and had people say, this one's really going to make you feel really good and make you feel awake. And I've taken these things home and just kind of waited and like crickets, you know, like nothing's happening. (laughs) Joining us now is Shayla Love, science writer at Vice. We've all heard about the placebo effect. It's when a person feels better from a drug or treatment that really doesn't have any pharmacological, physiological properties. We're going to be talking a little bit more about the nocebo effect, which is uh, sometimes referred to as placebo's evil twin. It's when a person experiences negative symptoms from an inert pill or treatment or even from verbal suggestions or observations. Tell us why you started looking into the nocebo effect. I've written about the placebo effect before, and I've read about it a lot, and I've always found it completely fascinating, the idea that people can make themselves feel better by taking something that is essentially nothing. It has no active ingredient. But as much as I've always loved the placebo effect and loved to learn about it, I felt like it was sort of inaccessible to me. That said, the nocebo effect, which is when you feel bad from nothing, I've always felt like is completely accessible to me at any moment in time. (laughs) And so ever since I was little, if you had a doctor who said, be careful of these side effects, I would immediately start to feel them right away. Just like the thought of food poisoning can give me a stomach ache. And so I felt like the nocebo effect was something that I could really easily tap into. And if it was placebo effects twin or evil twin, how could I access one and not the other? So that led me into wondering why was I susceptible to one and not the other and what's really going on and what's the mechanisms of these effects. Yeah. And I think a lot of people feel that way too. It's that whole notion of you're talking about somebody being sick or nauseous and then you're like, oh man, I'm starting to feel something in my stomach too. I think you even noted in your article, a lot of people even suspect some of this stuff that was happening in Cuba to some of the diplomats and they were hearing weird buzzing noises and then they started getting all of these physical symptoms because of it. Some people have even played it up to it being part of the nocebo effect, maybe not anything malicious that anybody was doing. It might have just been this. I think a lot of people can relate to that. And on the other side, the placebo effect, you talk about how you feel it might be inaccessible to you. Let's say people that have an affinity for crystals and, you know, they say I get my rose quartz and then I'm starting to feel a lot better, a lot more calm and things like that. And Some people just think it's BS because maybe they can't access that kind of placebo effect from themselves. So I think it's very relatable, these two notions. Yeah, crystals are a great example because I have lots of friends who love their crystals and I think crystals are very pretty. But I've gone out and had people say, this one's really going to make you feel really good and make you feel awake. And I've taken these things home and just kind of waited and like crickets. You know, like nothing's happening. (laughs) Right. And this was part of why I got so curious about this. Like, why do some people just have this main line to the placebo effect that I didn't seem to have? And so what have you learned through your research? Because they use placebos on a lot of clinical trials and studying other medicines. So put together some of the dots for us on this. I guess the 
first thing to say is that the placebo and the nocebo effect are real effects. It's not just in somebody's mind. Both of them can cause real physiological changes. Because of that, for a long time, we've actually tried to get rid of the placebo effect when we study medicine in clinical trials. Because how can you be sure if a medicine is working if the placebo effect can be so pronounced? So we have placebo-controlled trials so that we can give somebody something that's inactive and see if the person who gets the active medication is actually doing better than the placebo person. And only if the person who gets the medication does better than placebo do we determine that that's a, a good medication. But scientists now are starting to rethink that a little bit. And they're saying if the placebo effect is so powerful, maybe we shouldn't get rid of it. Then maybe we should try to use it to our advantage, right? Like if this is something that can really help us. And, and likewise, if the nocebo is really making people worse, we should try to understand that. When you go to the doctor, if they tell you that something is going to hurt, if people expect that something is going to hurt, it can actually amplify the pain that people feel. So that's important. We need to understand how these effects work if we're going to understand where they're coming into play in, in a medical context. So what I discovered after learning that these effects are very real is that they're probably not exactly like twins. Rather than nocebo being the evil twin, it's more like the grumpy cousin or something. It's, <laughs> the mechanisms are slightly different. So the nocebo effect has a lot more to do with anxiety than the placebo effect does. And there's some evidence that in the brain, there's some slightly different pathways that they take. So we can't really think of them as identical forces. So it would make sense that somebody like me could be really susceptible to the nocebo effect, but not to the placebo effect. Yeah, and it makes sense, this notion of anxiety. It's like the first thing I thought of is when kids are getting shots and they start crying because it hurts, yet you know, they haven't been pricked yet. This anxiety, it amplifies the pain. So you're feeling these experiences before they even happen. So that totally makes sense. And on the other side, you talk about how the placebo a lot of times is a result of learned experiences. If I've had a great experience with my doctor before they've helped me out or the medication I've been taking really helped out, then if I'm telling you, hey, this is also going to work, then you might get a placebo effect out of that. Part of what they're trying to do and learning more about this is kind of pairing active drugs with placebos and maybe give you a drug for a little bit that is working, then wean you off, give you placebo, then switch back and forth. That way you get that extra benefit of it. Context matters. When you give somebody a placebo pill, the pill doesn't doesn't really matter. Like we, we associate a placebo with a physical pill, but it really could be anything. What matters more is your beliefs, your history with medicine, your history with pain, your history with doctors. And so for me, I learned a lot really about myself. I grew up in a family of scientists. Everybody's really medically oriented. And so if something started to go wrong in the body, immediately people could start offering to you, here are all the things that might be wrong with you. And it's kind of an anxious, fraught setting almost immediately. So it makes sense that I would be somebody who would be prone to, once I started feeling something or heard a suggestion, that that's immediately where my mind would go and sort of bring about the nocebo effect. So You're conditioned to it as a kid before you even knew it, really. Exactly. Yeah. So the researchers that I talked to said that even if I'm prone to the nocebo effect because of my experiences and the context in which I was raised, anybody's body and brain can learn to accept and express the placebo effect. So you mentioned a great example, which is mixing in a placebo pill alongside an active drug. 
So for pain, this is really promising because you could give somebody a painkiller for two days and then give them a placebo on the third day. And you don't even have to lie. You can tell them that that's what you're doing. Right. There's no deception involved. But their body will kind of be conditioned to the response. So when you take that placebo pill at the same time that you took the active pills, it still provides the same effect. And suddenly you're taking less of a medication, which is always the goal is not to be taking things. And with the opioid crisis, if you could take placebos for pain instead of an opioid for pain, that would be a, a great outcome for lots of people. I suggest everybody go out and read it. The Power of the Nocebo Effect. Thank you very much. Shayla Love, science writer at Vice. Thanks so much. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. <laughs>